Today on episode five of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, Randy Beck. Management doesn't necessarily move beyond status quo. Leadership is what inspires organizations and people to move beyond status quo. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Thanks for joining us on the High Performance Leadership Podcast. I'm Randy Lane. Today, we're talking with leadership expert, consultant, speaker, and strategist, Randy Beck. He's worked for decades with businesses of all sizes, from Fortune 500 down to small privately held companies. He talks with us about a range of topics, including his favorite team-building exercise, cooking dinner. It forces a group of people to do something they've never done together before, which is really what happens on teams in business. Now, here's Randy Beck. Well, welcome, Randy. I really appreciate you carving out some of your day to to jump on and do the interview with us today. I've known Randy for 25 plus years, or has it been 25 years? Maybe not quite that long, but close to it. 2000, well, 2000. 2000, so, so 15. yeah, we're, we're 15, 16 years. 17. Yeah, it just felt like 25, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably so. <laughs> but uh, we really appreciate you spending some time um, being on our podcast today, and so... You know, what I do with everybody is start out by asking you to kind of take us through your background a little bit and bring us up to what's uh, what's brought you to where you are today in your career. Well, you know, that's a lot of years. Yeah. <laughs> so I was born in Sacramento, California, many years ago. <laughs> Actually, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, and uh, my dad had multiple businesses. I started working for my grandmother, who was a grocery entrepreneur, uh, delivering groceries to the people she called the shut-ins when I was uh, six, seven years old. And uh, so I learned work ethic pretty soon and worked in my dad's business from the time I was 12. And actually, as soon as I could drive, had my own janitorial route. And then I uh, went from that. I always had a passion for cars. So I worked in garages, you know, as a, uh, I guess, a, a, I'd say an apprentice mechanic, but I was just a kid that liked to go fast and tear <laughs> things up and put them back together. And so anyway, um, I did not do too well in school because I was busy chasing girls and street racing and having fun in high school. And I needed the maturity of a few years in the military, which I did during the Vietnam years before I was able to go to college. So came back, got an undergraduate degree, uh, undergraduate science degree, by the way, and went to work for Anheuser-Busch, the beer company. And that was my first professional job and uh, was there for a few years and then uh, decided I wanted to go up and uh, work around the woods in, in heavier industry. So got recruited to uh, the Northwest and went to work for uh, Pulp and Paper Natural Resources Company and did that for um, about uh, eight years. And then I was a corporate lobbyist for a while and um, really always thought that I could uh, uh, needed a greater autonomy, a degree of autonomy than the corporate world provided. So in uh, 2001, went out on my own and have essentially been self-employed since then. Or not 2001, wait, 1991, I'm sorry. 91. Got my years wrong. <laughs> yeah. So since 1991, I've been self-employed uh, as a consultant doing leadership development, 
initially started doing whatever people wanted me to do. I closed down an organization for one client uh, and then, uh, you know, did some uh, research projects for a few clients and just did a variety of things. I uh, realized that the greatest value that I could provide was to help make it easier and more satisfying for leaders to get business results through others. And so that became the path of my consulting business uh, beyond just simply making a living and doing whatever anybody wanted me to do and actually focused on building that business. And that's what I've been doing since the early 90s. Wonderful. So obviously you've been around the block a little bit in terms of leaders and developing leaders. One of the questions I like to ask everybody that comes on the podcast is, can you give us an example of what you would consider to be great leadership, someone you've either worked with or worked for or around that has exemplified, you know, what you would consider to be a great leadership qualities? You know, I think, Chip, it would actually be a composite of many people that I've worked with, worked for, and worked around. Uh, and if I were to talk about the commonalities, because, you know, there's, there's not been a single leader that didn't have some things they could improve upon. And I think probably one of the most profound factors in being a good leader is self-awareness and agree. the ability to, the ability to get feedback and hear feedback. Coincidentally, that just happens to be the business I'm in. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if I were to look at the different leaders that I've worked with, I would say passion. I've worked with some entrepreneurs that have started very cool businesses. I've worked with uh, veteran leaders who were really good at sharing their expertise and wisdom in a sage-like fashion. I've worked with other leaders who were rough around the edges on the interpersonal skills side, but really got great business results. And so, you know, if you put all those things together and boil them down, it's probably, uh, for me, would be passion and vision, the ability to see things that others don't see, see possibilities that others don't see, passion to get others enthused, others who will help you achieve your vision, your dream. And then I think uh, within that is actually caring about the others who help you achieve your dreams yeah. and passion, being committed to developing people and create more, creating more leaders. So on the flip side, what would be the opposite of that then? Do you have examples of of individuals, or is it more of the, the same, the collage of poor leadership looks the same? I would say um, it could be the absolute opposite of what I just said. But if I think back the leaders I've known over the years, I would say the one thing that is a persistent failure is lack of integrity. I mean that partially from not having a set of values that drive your behavior. Uh, you know, leaders who... Uh, use and abuse their people. And I think, uh, let me ca uh, capitalize that because what I'm talking about is not leaders who don't give solid feedback, not leaders who let people slack because good leaders don't do that. But I'm talking about leaders who have the inability to respect the dignity of the people around them while they're helping people learn and grow and improve. Hmm. Leaders who abuse their power, their positional power, uh, to rough people up when they ought to be helping people get better. Yeah. Of your 20 plus years in developing effective leaders, what would be a, a system or a process that someone would use if they're not self-aware, if they're, if they are just clueless to their inability to lead other people, how do you break through that? How do you get them to see that? Well, you know, there's there's a handful of things that I do that have been real effective and probably 
one of the most powerful tools is very simple. It's stop, start, continue. And the way that works is, let's say Chip wants to make some change, wants to improve his performance. The question uh, is asked of people around Chip, you know, people who work with Chip, for Chip, even customers. And the question is asked relative to the change that Chip desires to make. So let's say Chip wants to be more effective in dealing with and growing his employees. So then I would ask the people that work with Chip, in order for Chip to be more effective in helping you learn and grow, what would you suggest that Chip stop doing? What should he start doing? And what should he continue doing? Hmm. And I've done that with a number of C-level executives. Surprisingly, some hear it very well. Most actually do take action. You know, people don't get to be successful CEOs in many cases without the ability to learn and grow themselves. There are a few that slip through the cracks. You know, they always do because they get such they get such good numbers that the bad behavior gets ignored in some companies. But most people want to improve. Most people want to get better. Do you see it ever used as a passive-aggressive way to throw arrows at each other? You know, if it's done anonymously, the stop-start-continue, could that turn into a, a way to, to give feedback that's counterproductive? Well, it could. And the way that I believe it's best done is not through a uh, an anonymous uh fill out an email or fill out a monkey, a survey monkey and send it to me. It's done by me sitting face to face with the people I'm interviewing because that allows me to dig in, burrow down and really get some validation of what they're saying. Mm -hmm. If somebody says that I'm arrogant and condescending, which of course nobody would ever say, but let's just say (laughs) one of my employees said that I'm arrogant and condescending and you were interviewing them, then what you would say is, well, tell me what that looks like when Randy does that. Tell me the impact it has. Give me, give me some situations where that has happened and it has really interfered with Randy being effective. Sure. Hmm. Is it kind of like the emperor has no clothes type of situation? Sometimes people don't see these qualities in themselves. Yeah, yeah, sometimes it is. But I have seen very few leaders in my career and I've worked with a whole lot of C-level people that run companies and also leaders of leaders at lower levels. Very few are totally no good, need to go. Yep. You know, because there's just no redeeming quality about them. Most people are doing the best they can. They'll do better when they know how. And it's our job as leaders to help them know how. So what kind of leadership development programs do you do? And is there more impact in kind of the emerging leader areas? So people that are supervisors that that manage and they don't know the difference between management and leadership. Or you see more of it at the C-suite and working with that group? Well, I think in terms of impact, you you have to define the impact you're talking about. If you're talking about cultural change, organizational transformation impact, of course at the top Mm -hmm. is where the greatest result can take place. If you're talking about individual impact and making it easier and more satisfying for an individual leader to get better results through people, then it's more individualized. You know, a supervisor may have 10, 15 people, 20, 30 people, that they are accountable for, you know, so if you improve their ability to lead those people, then uh, life gets better for everybody. You know, a CEO may have hundreds of people, thousands of people that they lead, but they lead them through multiple subordinate executives and leaders and improve the ability to lead people in those folks. 
and improve interpersonal skills, improve the ability to connect with people, give valuable feedback, et cetera, and fewer dogs get kicked at night. Sure. Yeah. No, I... I, I get that. That's for sure. You talked about this on a another podcast we have for our faculty members. Cooking, is is that a passion of yours? Yeah, it is. Actually, eating is a passion. In order to eat, I get to cook. <laughs> <laughs> and you were talking about ways you develop that into your, into your leadership development. I guess if I had copyrighted signature uh, sort of uh, exercises, I'd call this my signature exercise. And it's a team development exercise that we do around cooking. Basically what we do, we use a team chartering template and the assignment to the team is you guys have to develop and deliver a gourmet experience for the team tonight. And it depends on the circumstance. Like we've, uh, we've with one executive team, we rented a gigantic house up in the mountains. And in that case, you know, I brought a nice chest full of stuff and said, you guys, make it happen. In another case, we were downtown in a, uh, a condo uh, activity room. And in that case, uh, they had to do everything. They had to do the shopping. They had to decorate. They had to do everything, including cleanup. It's the same sort of a thing. And that is you have a mission to accomplish. I define the mission. And then we have a charter template, which is uh, about 12 questions divided into three categories questions that have to be answered in order to deliver on a commitment. And they could go through that team chartering process focused on creating an outstanding evening activity. They always deliver. They always have a ball. And it's just a whole lot of fun. We've had groups that have done it also where we've uh, had the team charter themselves, create the experience, and then invited the wives to show up or significant others to show up to be entertained. Hmm. And that's always fun, too. Yeah, if anybody's watched uh, Hell's Kitchen or something, you know, it's it's easy to see why that is the ultimate expression of a team or a very good way to get people thinking in a team mindset. Because if one part doesn't happen, the meal doesn't go off like it should. Exactly. And and actually, the, the value of this is it also, and besides just having a bunch of fun, is that it also teaches them the team chartering model and template in a non-threatening fashion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me what, what is the team chartering thing? Tell me what is a charter exactly? It's essentially the example I use is when a formula one driver is going to race at the Nürburgring, they walk the track a couple of times to really understand the track before they get in a formula one land rocket and try to go 225 miles an hour around the track. I call it a go slow to go fast. That's basically what team chartering process is. It's going slow at the beginning in order to go fast when you get to doing the work. Mm -hmm. What the team chartering process does is it really sets, it, it answers the questions that are necessary for the team to be aligned and work effectively together before they start doing the work. What are some benefits that you see when you do this exercise? Is there a common thing that people come back and they say, oh yeah, that really showed me something? You're talking about team chartering or eating and drinking? Uh, kind of both, but <laughs> m m more about the, the cooking experience. Yeah, the, the cooking experience, really it's just an integration of several things. One, it's something I like to do. And that's Two, where it starts. That's, what, it, yeah, that's where it starts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's one of the joys of being self-employed. That's right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it brings together something I like to do into my business. It forces some 
a group of people to do something they've never done together before, which is really what happens on teams in business so much. You know, the boss says, well, you're going to be you're going to be on this team and you're going to be here and you're going to be there. And all the boss says is that you have to improve manufacturing. Well, okay, let's answer some questions about that. What does improving manufacturing look like? What does that really mean? The team answers that question together. What are the roles that we're all going to play in making that happen? What are going to be the norms of our behavior? Who's the customer for the output of this leadership team? What are some barriers we anticipate? What are the boundaries we have to work within? So it's answering those questions together as a team so everybody is very clear on how the team is going to function to achieve this mission of improving manufacturing and also how will they know when they've done so. Have you ever had a cooking experience where you guys end up ordering takeout because it went so bad? No, never. never, never. <laughs> it's always absolutely. at least edible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. And we've never had any fist fights. That's no. good. So it's not quite Hell's Kitchen, but... No, nah, that's because I'm just a little bit nicer guy than that Ramsey guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one of the questions that I know that you and I have discussed over the years is a lot of people that are managers believe that they're leaders and they don't understand the difference between management and leadership. Do you have an easy way to explain the difference between the two or what those characteristics look like? Uh, yeah, actually I do. And my very simple definition is management is about stuff. Leadership is about people. Management is about schedules. It's about budget. It's about numbers. It's about things. Leadership is about inspiration accountability, vision, helping people learn and grow, do better in the future than they've done in the past. I have a personal belief, and, I, and I've had this for many years, even back when I was in corporate world and was a leader in the corporate world, I've always felt that anybody who is under my leadership should be a better human being at the end of the time working with me than they were when they started. And on the one hand, that sounds arrogant and presumptuous that I could help anybody be a better human being because I've struggled getting myself to be a better human being for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. But understanding your people as individuals, understanding what their hopes and dreams are, and then having a commitment to help them achieve what they want to achieve really creates the kind of bond and the kind of loyalty that builds great teams. And I, I worked for a company once that... Uh, Whenever anybody left the company, if they left to go to another division within the company, they had a big party for them and everything. And if they left to go to another company or a job outside the company, they were pretty much vilified. And I always thought, this is stupid. You know, if I have helped somebody learn and grow so they can go from being a uh, manager for me and be a division executive in another company, gee, that's great. Good yeah. for them. Makes yeah, your life better. That's good. I'm happy with that. So that, that never computed with me. I thought it was weird. It is funny that of the two terms, management seems to be, if you say a manager versus a leader, it tends to have more of a, a negative connotation if you're talking about a manager versus a, a leader is always like an inspiring figure. Let me clarify something about that. And I have to do this in our classes also. This is not an issue of one being good and the other being bad. Because leaders have to manage also. Mm -hmm. leaders, leaders have to have metrics that they have to perform to. They have to uh, make sure that their people are delivering against the metrics they're committed to. They have to have clear goals that people are uh, helped to deliver against. They have to manage within their budget. So there are things that have to manage. But the more, for me personally, the more satisfying part is the leadership part. The other thing is that management doesn't necessarily move beyond status quo. Leadership is what inspires organizations and people to move beyond status quo. I would agree That's with a good that. One. Yeah. 
Yeah, because leaders, you know, they they are visionaries. They are looking to the future. They're anticipating changes. They're they're inspiring, and and I agree with you on a high level of uh, authenticity and and ethics. Uh, really attract people to them. Or man- yeah, they see stuff. They see stuff that others don't see. Sure. Absolutely. Where a, where a manager puts out fires every day, they deal with systems and structure and process, trying to make sure that things don't break all the time. Where a leader is, you know, assuming that those things are taken care of, so they're looking towards the future. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, a man a management is a control function. I know. I know in my in my head that they are not one is bad and one is good. But when I when it, the first thing I think about when someone says manager or leader, you know, leader I think of someone like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, and then manager I think of that guy from Office Space. Yeah, have you finished your TPS reports? <laughs> you know, <That's> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think the other thing too, leadership. We tend to think it's a title and an and, and generally an executive level title. The reality is leadership is about behavior. Mm-hmm. It's not about a title. I've known people that were hourly employees on the floor that were actually better leaders than people that had titles and power. You know, one of the measures of leadership, in my opinion, is what can you get done through people over whom you have no authority? <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, for 20 years, I've been getting stuff done through people over whom I have no authority. And that's part of what I teach folks that are in companies to be able to do. I read an article about that called, it was about leading up. So it's about, you may not have that position in the company, but you have the ability to have the ear of that person. And if the other person above you is a good leader, they will listen to your ideas. So not to think of yourself as a lowly employee, but to think of yourself as a partner. And if you have that good idea, you can be that leader. Yeah, because it's about how you behave. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you look for opportunity? Do you find opportunities to help people? Do you Do you look to make things better? Do you come to work with excitement every day, considering ways you can improve the way things are done? What about that question that's been around forever? Are leaders born or are leaders made? What do you think? Both. Yeah? Both. I think, you know, if leaders couldn't be made, I wouldn't have been successfully in this business for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that, uh, let me qualify that, though. I have run into some people that simply couldn't become leaders. You know, I've had people that I that I have uh, worked with that the business wanted them to become leaders. They personally did not want to be leaders. Mm. And that never works. I've kind of learned in my co- coaching business, I coach executives and leaders also, separate from projects, you know, just coaching somebody to improve, learn, and grow. And I've learned under the over the years to not take on a coaching assignment for somebody who's about to get fired and the boss has given them a coach to try to save them. <laughs> that, that doesn't work. That's, that's a bad investment of time and money. Um, the other thing I've learned is don't coach somebody that doesn't want the, des- the stated desired outcome of the coaching. You know, if a person's boss is, is signing them up for coaching and they're not all in, it won't be successful. Sure. I've run into this in my own um, in my own life for employees that enjoy doing a certain aspect of their job. And then they are told, you, you've done a good job in your field. Now we want you to be a leader of other people doing your job. And then they have difficulty giving up control, giving up what they've enjoyed doing and handing the reins on to another generation, another set of people. How do you help people through that? So one of the things to think about is the change always has price and reward associated with it. And when somebody changes to a new job, for example, the reward can be more salary, 
for a high achiever, it can be a higher level of authority, an opportunity to work with new people, do different things. Part of the price of that is if you have been effective in your prior position, you're thought of as a base of knowledge. You're thought of as a go-to person. There's prestige in being the most knowledgeable machinist on the floor. There's no prestige in being a new supervisor who doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Mm -hmm. And so there's some real stress and discomfort about that. And the other thing is there's also the sense of loss that comes with you're not one of the guys anymore. Now you've got to sometimes have difficult discussions with the guy you used to drink beer with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so understanding what that change is and, you know, it's, it's been an endemic problem in, in business forever that we take the, the uh, person who is the most dependable production worker, shows up on time every day, gets in early, stays late when necessary, works week on overtime when they want to, always has a smile on their face. We decide, oh, boy, that person would be a great supervisor of all the production floor. Well, we put them in the role and don't teach them how to be a supervisor, and they're miserable. Some ultimately fail, some get fired, some leave the company. Those people, we need to reach out to them and make sure that they are learning the perspective skills and tools that are necessary to be an effective leader and supervisor of other folks. Oh, yeah. And and there's no honor in going back to your old job. They feel like they can't do that, so they switch companies. And they may go back right. to the same role that they were happy at before, but they can't do it in the same company they just got promoted in because of the perceived shame mm-hmm. or embarrassment. Whatever yeah, that's right. Be. One of the things I think we tend to make a mistake at as leaders is presuming everybody wants to climb the ladder. Some people are just happy to come in in the morning, run a machine all day, go home at night, get night with their family, have a nice dinner with their kids every night, get up and come in at 7 the next morning and go home at 4.30 the next afternoon. And that needs to be okay. I have a good example of that. I, I worked with a guy who was one of the most talented news photographers I've ever met in my life. He'd been doing it 30 years when I met him, and he was not the chief photographer. And I said, well, how can you shoot at the level you're shooting at and be here as long as you have and not be the chief photographer? He said, you know, about 10 years ago, they tried to give me that title. And uh, it's really about scheduling people. And I just couldn't bear to not shoot video every day. So I said, I don't want it. And he, he moved back down and he doesn't make as much as the chief photographer who has far less experience than him. But that's where he was happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I've been working with a coach and a, an executive here recently, and she's really in a quandary because her, her desire to be liked is greater than her desire to make hard decisions. So as a leader, you have to make hard decisions. You, you have to be fair and ethical, but sometimes you have to tell people you like, no. And her desire to be liked is trumping her desire to be an effective leader. And so she's struggling constantly with this, with this problem. Randy, how, how would you coach somebody with that same dilemma? Well, I think part of it is helping her learn, uh, helping her change her perspective, number one, and understand that having those difficult discussions, it's really about helping somebody else learn and grow. I think we get confused about our intentions sometimes. When somebody disappoints, some leaders want to dump their frustration on the individual who is disappointed and they want to beat them up, hopefully in private, but they don't think about what their intention is. I think it should always be to help a person learn and grow. And if your intention is to help somebody learn and grow, then you go into it with a belief that 
in order for this person to learn and grow, I have to give them some feedback. And it may be feedback they don't want to hear, but I still have to do it. So, you know, as a coach, one of the things that uh, I do with people is I encourage them to script the discussion, script out the discussion. And when you script out the discussion, you know this person, you've been working with them for X number of years. How do you think they're going to respond? Are they going to be defensive? Are they going to want to attack you? Or are they going to look down at their shoes and get all embarrassed? From what you know about this person, how do you believe they will respond? Sure. And then anticipate what you're going to say and do when they do that. If the person gets defensive, how are you going to deal with it? What might they say? What will you do? And I think once you have coached somebody and role-played somebody through having those difficult discussions, and when they've had one or two of them that have been successful, it becomes easier and the fear goes away. Yeah, because their intent is to help the other person, not to ridicule them, put them down, beat them up. Yeah, yeah. Once again, it has to do with respecting the dignity of somebody else. And even an employee who has screwed up still is entitled to have their dignity respected, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. With this current situation I was dealing with, and I agree with you 100%, one of the problems was that there wasn't context before the delivery of content. They would just come in and say, here's what needs to happen. Boom, 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 boom. Without creating any context to why I'm even telling you this and giving you this. Yeah. So so that left too much, too many assumptions out there for people to assume that the content that's being delivered is directly to punish me or to ridicule me or to give me grief. When if you outlay the context first. Here is the reason why we're having the conversation. Here's the context in which I'm about to deliver content to you. Changes the paradigm completely of the person receiving the information Absolutely. If, it's, if it's done right. I've got one coming up tomorrow that I'm, I'm doing with a client, uh, with an employee. These people are, are both executives, and the focus is going to be on there are some things that are getting in the way of your success. You know, as your leader... I want you to be successful. Mm-hmm. And here's some things that I think you need to you need to hear. Are there any books or podcasts that you're either reading or listening to recently? I read a lot of books. I, uh, I listen to books on Audible. Uh, I spend a lot of time in the car. I drive about 25,000 miles a year. So, you know, frequently I'll listen to books. I get real weary of business books. You know, however, there is one new business book that really everybody should read. I agree 100%. Uh, and I'll tell you, this is this is life-changing stuff right here. Well, what is the name of that book, and who is the author? Uh, it is called <laughs> Principles of High-Performance Leadership. It's by this guy, Chip Wilson. I've never heard of him before, but my God, I'm reading this, and it is just brilliant. It's as if I could have written it myself. <laughs> you you feel like you've taught that stuff before, have you? Well, yeah, yeah, indeed. I think he's been in my classes. <laughs> Um, a couple of other books, uh, and you know, I, I read a lot of books for personal, uh, I've just gotten weary of business books to a degree. I'm reading a book right now that I just started. It's called seven brief lessons in physics from a guy by the name of Carlo Ravello. I'm not deep enough into that. Uh, it'll probably take me about three weeks to read the first chapter given the topic, but, uh, I'm excited about it. Um, there's another book that I picked up recently. It's called Great American Speeches. These are speeches from great leaders over the years in our country, people who have been president, uh, people who have been uh, not been president but still been great leaders. And uh, it's actually text of some of the great speeches of all times. 
I'm really enjoying that. I read a book recently um, on the political side called Dark Money about how money is funneled through uh, alleged think tanks, which really aren't, and PACs to uh, influence elections. That's very interesting. On the business side, probably one of the top business books that I would recommend, besides Principles of High Performance Leadership, of course, <laughs> is Leadership and Self-Deception. Yep. This is a book about self-awareness for leaders, and uh, it changes people's lives. It really does. I mean, I, I have uh, several clients that I've given it to that have said, thank you, thank you, thank you. It has made all the difference in my relationships at home and in the way I see myself at work. Well, Randy, thank you so much for being on today's podcast. We uh, really appreciate it. I know I value our friendship and have for many years, and I'm sure we have many years ahead of us as well. And and I hope to have you back on our show again sometime extremely soon, if possible, because I always learn every time I'm around you. Well, thank you, Chip. I, I also appreciate the friendship. It's always a lot of fun when we uh, get a chance to chat with each other. And as you know, I'm always a guy with a lot of opinions. That's right. <laughs> Whether they're right or wrong, that's up for debate, but it's well, always fun. Right to me, what else matters, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> okay, guys, be cool. All right, buddy. Appreciate it. The High Performance Leadership Podcast is brought to you by 360 Solutions. Randy Beck has used 360 Solutions content in his practice for years. The thing I was so impressed by was the level of service. I mean, there was one time specifically, I remember, showed up in Arizona on a Sunday and the classes were going to start on Monday. And the client Monday morning said, we're going to have two people more than we planned for. I didn't know at that point in time to buy extra materials. And so I had two people in the class on Monday afternoon that I didn't have materials for. As soon as I learned that, I called 360 Solutions. And by Tuesday morning, we had materials for the people that were at. That was the kind of service that has epitomized 360 over the years. Thinking of starting your own business consulting firm? 360 Solutions has a proven system that helps struggling organizations through leadership development. Learn more at 360solutions.com. The High Performance Leadership Podcast is also sponsored by Principles of High Performance Leadership, the book by Chip Wilson. The first 100 people to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast get the book for free. That's right, free book. Go to 360solutions.com for more information. All right, Chip, so can you kind of explain to me what a high performance workshop is? Absolutely. What most of the time organizations are struggling uh, on one thing or another, and they really don't know how to put it all together. And so we have this two-day intensive workshop, we call it a high-performance workshop, that really has a framework. And that framework helps organizations understand what are the principles of highly successful organizations. What do they look like? And, and then we move into assessing. Step two is assessing the organization. We have seven critical steps that we look at. We help our uh, participants that are in the workshop really kind of create a benchmark of where their current organization is, is. We move to step three, which is clarifying their strategy and helping them think through their strategy. And is it a good strategy? Can they, are, can they change it? And how do we clarify it? And then step four is we then start helping empower them on leadership and help them understand what does a high-performance leader do on a daily basis. And then step five is those leaders then build very high-performing teams of individuals and and. We're really focused on getting the leaders and the teams to execute on the strategy. 
And so, so this two-day workshop takes them through the entire process. It does. And so when you leave the workshop, you'll leave with a, a framework, a, a, a plan that you can go back into your organization and really take this and understand what are our principles, assess our organization on seven different critical areas, create that baseline, clarify our strategy, and then start changing behavior of our leaders and our teams to execute on that on that clear strategy that we have in place now. And who's this who's this workshop for? Anybody in a leadership role. So it doesn't matter if you're for profit, nonprofit, it doesn't matter. If you are responsible for getting results in your organization, especially if you're responsible for getting results through other people, this workshop is designed for those individuals. And so if I'm looking for more information, where can I go? Go to 360solutions.com. Uh, and in there, you'll see everything that you need to know about the upcoming workshops all around the U.S. And we have some actually in other parts of the world as well. But there's probably one coming close to you uh, sometime this year. Uh, and the information's on there. The cost is extremely reasonable. And the reason why we keep the cost low is because we want people to understand the framework. Once you understand the framework, then you know we can help you along the way of implementing those things. So if you've enjoyed this podcast and all of our leadership tips and tricks that we've been giving you, this is kind of the next step. Yeah, the next step is, is to say, you know what, this is great information. I really want to see how I can uh, apply some of these principles to help my organization grow. This two-day workshop is, is kind of the starting point. It's kind of the immersion into the overall concept of high performance uh, as you as a leader and then really as how the organization and leaders work together to, to build a high-performance company. And so we'll also be talking about those upcoming events on this podcast. So stay tuned here as well. That's 360solutions.com again for more information. And of course, we're also on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, all those places. So we'll make sure to have plenty of information available there. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Make sure and subscribe via iTunes, give us a rating and leave us a review. Tell everyone you know to do the same thing. The more subscriptions, ratings, and reviews we get, the higher iTunes rates us. Visit our website at hpleadershippodcast.com, tweet at us at twitter.com slash 360 underscore solutions, and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 360 solutions LLC. That's all together, no spaces. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.